0: everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the hockeythinktank.com a website for all players, parents and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today straight From the bubble in Edmonton, Alberta, as he is an assistant coach with Team USA at the World Junior Championships, we have... Chris Mayotte, who is also an assistant coach at the University of Michigan. A little bit about his background. Mayo grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and got his start playing junior hockey in the North American Hockey League with the Cleveland Barons, followed by a year where he won a Clark Cup championship with the Sioux City Musketeers in the USHL. He took that to Union College, where he played for four years, followed by five years playing professionally as a goaltender. Then he got right into college coaching. uh, that's where he, we actually met my first year as an assistant coach it was his first year as a volunteer under Mike Schaefer at Cornell. Then he went on to coach as an assistant with Greg Carvel at St. Lawrence University, followed by Providence College, where he played for Nate Lehman, who's also the head coach at the World Juniors for Team USA this year. Uh, and Nate actually coached him at Union. And now he is an assistant coach under Mel Pearson at the University of Michigan. So this is a great, great conversation. Very cool to get the inside on the bubble up there in Edmonton right now as they get ready for the World Junior Championships. Um, but before we do get over to Mayo, this was an awesome conversation. Let's get over to another awesome guy, the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Jehu Levecchio. Vex,
1: what's going on today? Uh, little rattled, bought a new sexy microphone and it is not working. So this is take 743 for us <laughs> right now. Also known as take two. Uh <laughs> But yeah, uh, just in Nashville for the weekend and uh, excited to be doing the intro for this podcast right now. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Absolutely. This was a fun conversation. I mean, world juniors is right around the corner starts next week. Um, it, it's going to be a fantastic tournament as always. It was really cool to kind of get the inside scoop. If, uh, if you will, about what's going on with, uh, team USA, very cool too. uh, Mayo after we were done with this podcast, he's like, all right, thanks guys. Uh, I got to go hop on a zoom call with Patrick Kane. He's talking to the boys right now. So, uh, you know, very cool to kind of hear some of the stuff that they're doing, uh, in terms of team building with, uh, within their group again, they they're only with each other for a short short period of time and as we talked about with Cole Bardrow a few episodes back who won a world junior gold medal uh Mayo actually won a world junior gold medal as a coach a few years ago in that uh Troy Terry uh you know shootout extraordinaire uh, scoring all those goals against Russia and Canada um so yeah I mean it's having guys buy in and having guys be all together, um, is something that's really, really important for, for success at the world junior championship. So very cool to hear some of the stuff that they're doing and and they're putting a lot of time and effort into it.
1: How cool is it that Patrick Kane did that too? Like, I love when the like best players in the world take like, what is it? 10 minutes, 20 minutes out of his day to make those kids like tournament year lives like you know and how much motivation is that going to give that team having Patrick Kane give them a hype speech like come on man like I love when I hear players doing this it's so cool
0: yeah yeah I I think Team USA and USA Hockey does a pretty good job of that in general you know I think um, again it's really really cool right now in the NHL how many superstars are American um, you look at Austin Matthews. You look at Patrick Kane. You look at so many of these guys that are at the top of the list, and and even some of the younger guys coming in, like the Matthew Kachuks and you know the the Charlie McAvoy's and the Zach Wierenski's and the Seth Joneses. I mean, there's so many awesome, awesome USA hockey players, and in the fact that they're taking some time to give back, and um, you know a lot of them have gone through similar experiences. I know a lot of players uh, at that level played for the NTDP growing up, so they know how tough it is and how great of an experience it could be. At the same time, a lot of the players who are playing world juniors have come from the NTDP as well so um yeah usa hockey's done a good job of of getting everybody together and uh i think that's a huge part of the reason why you've seen so much more success at uh, at this level in some of these international tournaments um it's because of that
1: 100% like just how how many of them didn't have people doing that when they were in world juniors like i wonder like i wonder if anybody had called Patrick Kane's team you know when he was playing a world juniors and and if they didn't like why he was doing it now like what's his motivation like we know what our motivation is to do this podcast and I think it's kind of like a similar situation to any any coaches out there listening right now I really hope that uh you impress upon your players to always give back even if they're 10 years old be talking to them about you know as you get older like you know, we want you to give back to the next generation and try and bring in older guys and have them come to a practice or, or call them or a FaceTime video to your team. Like there was a team uh, uh, stretching, doing a dynamic warmup outside my gym, I guess this probably was like 10 days ago, uh, right before Trent Frederick, one of the guys I trained that's a Boston Bruins, Providence Bruins player. And I said, Hey, Freddie, let's go up here real quick. Just say hi to these kids and say, good luck. It'll make their day. And Trent Frederick is one of the best human beings I've ever met. And he's like, yeah, okay, cool. He goes over there, you know, gives him a little spice. Hey, k- kids, you know who this is? And they did not And so I'm like, you know, it's Trent Frederick plays for the Bruins. And kids that go absolutely bonkers. The coaches were smile ear to ear. It was really cool. It was literally, it took him less than two minutes to talk to this team. I guess they went out and won five, nothing. I had like 10 messages in my Twitter and my Instagram the next day from the coaches being like, Hey, I'm a coach of one of those teams. You know, you had Trent come over and and speak to the team. They won five, nothing. And after the game, they said it was all because Trent spoke to them. So I was like, I, I text, I sent Trent all the pictures of the DMS I got. I'm like, Hey man, you took two minutes out of your day and look at this impact it made on young hockey players. So I just really want to impress upon the coaches listening to this, like get your older players to come back, even if they're not NHL, even if they're not college, like the pro, it doesn't matter. Just having an older guy who played in that same system, same team, same organization, come back and talk to the kids or jump on the ice. Even if it's 10 minutes, it will make the practice more fun for those kids to look up to those players. It's kind of, you know, it's just a win-win situation. And I really hope that that coaches start to do that more. Cause I think it's super important.
0: Yeah. And it doesn't even need to be like, you know, Pro players or junior yeah. players or whatever. Like, I, I mean, when I was a squirt, I thought that midget players were like playing in the NHL. <laughs> so even. Who's the guy you talked about? Uh, was it Buster Stapleton? Buster Stapleton. Yeah. Or Tim Stapleton. Buster Stapleton. Yeah. Like, whenever he was on the ice, we were wide eyed, just st- stuck to the glass because he was incredible and obviously came on to have an incredible career. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that we tried to do with our organization that we aren't able to do because of COVID and we don't have like, we don't want, teams on the ice with other teams or we don't want any like cross pollination if, if that makes any sense so but because of the restrictions that we have right now at our rink um but yeah like what one of the things that we wanted to do was like every practice for our younger teams we wanted to have one or two guys from an older team out there just like you know just even demonstrating demonstrating the drills or whatever just to have a little bit of that mentorship and, and even we wanted to have some of the younger players on some of the teams out with the older teams so they can see what like the level of play is and how hard those guys work because every level you go up it's you know it's a little bit more so I just think like and we've talked about it a lot but like one thing that I'm really into right now and talking a lot about it and reading a lot about it or trying to is mentorship like mentorship is so 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 important and um, it's interesting so we actually had Mayo I do like a YouTube 10 question series. And I actually asked him one of the questions that I asked him on that. So go to my YouTube page, The Hockey Think Tank, and check it out too. Is, you know, he got a chance to coach with some like legit legends in college hockey like he's coached with Mike Schaefer at Cornell he's coached with Craig Carville when he was at St. Lawrence now he's at uh, UMass and turned that program around Uh, he's coached with Nate Lehman who won a national championship Uh, they won a national championship together at Providence Um, and uh, he's got the chance to coach now with Mel Pearson who was an assistant coach at Michigan for so long now he's the head coach like it's it's really interesting to hear the mentorship and and how what he took from coaching with all of those different coaches and uh, it's just like whether it's players whether it's coaches if you can find really good mentors um, it's everything and and even if you go back to our Daryl Belfry episode like he even admits like he had a mentor that he wouldn't be where he is today. Had he not his, had his mentor in bud. Um, And he talks a lot about that in the book too. So I I don't know, man, like it's just something that I think is so, so incredibly valuable. And if we can find ways to be intentional, intentional about putting older players and younger players in a spot where they're either being mentored or mentoring someone else, it's everything.
1: I think that's so cool. And and like you think about, when you put an older player, say it's a midget player, and you have him go out there with the, the squirts or peewees or whatever, and you have him demonstrate or teaching to the kids too. Like you learn so much more when you teach someone else a, a skill. So like, you, you're like, Oh, wait, yeah. Hey, you know, little Johnny, you got to focus on this detail. And it's an 18 year old kid teaching him, And then it's like, you literally immediately start to internalize and think what are the details? So look, maybe even putting a guy out there who doesn't have the best details and then being like, all right, I really want you to coach the skill, like it's on you to make little Johnny better. Like he's gonna learn those skills way more by forcing you to have him teach the kid. So I think that's so cool, man. It's so important. I think that's one of the best ideas you've ever said on this podcast and then and then the inverse of that the young guy going out with the old players just i just think about the young kids and the smile on their face being out there with the older guys looking up to the older guys the bigger guys the guys they want to be like um i just think that is so 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 cool and i think more organizations should do that
0: yeah i think yeah it's um I mean, I think everybody, you and I both, and and I think everybody listening can go back in their youth (laughs) and, and realize that there were some really good people in their corner that taught them stuff and challenged them and supported them. And, all, and everything and and uh the more again the more we can be intentional on that stuff and and really put these kids in situations where they can do that um it it's it's best for for both the mentor and the mentee i don 't even know. know if those are words i know mentor is a word, but uh mentee
1: is a word i believe I'm okay I go to Cornell uh, but I believe you are correct
0: that is correct, correct. spanish somebody, armada
1: somebody. <laughs> Somebody on Twitter, let us know. (laughs) Don't say it. Somebody on Twitter, if you know.
0: Uh, You know, one of the other um, parts of this podcast that I thought was really, really awesome is, you know, Mayo, he, he had an awesome journey, too. And it was filled with ups and downs along the way. So getting the chance to hear his story, but also getting the chance because University of Michigan is making some waves right now because their recruiting class is ridiculous. Like they have some kids in their recruiting class that uh, either are already first round draft picks or in this next draft, will go extremely high in the first round. And so getting the chance to talk to him about those players and like almost what, what does it take to be the best? What does it take to be the best at your craft? And it was really cool because they have a kid, Owen power who Bob McKenzie just uh, named as the number one prospect for next year's NHL draft Um, hearing his, his mindset and, and how he wants to be coached and wants to be challenged. And even though he's getting showered with all this praise and stuff, it's still something as a 17, 18 year old kid, he's still like, I want more. <laughs> and I want you to coach me, I want you to do some stuff to, to help me learn. And, and uh, he, he's played with the Chicago Steel with with that crew for the past couple of years. So, um, you know, that's obviously a, a big part of his development, too. So just very, very cool to hear him talk about the best of the best at that age and uh and and what their mindset and process is like
1: and obviously he's been exposed to some pretty cool minds with that chicago steel group that we absolutely love just a bunch of beauties belfry belfry uh nicholas and uh the boy the gm the man the myth the legend what did you forget his name (laughs) no i just didn't want to say it right now i want him to i want him to not get the praise at the moment because I pump that guy's tires so hard all the time, all the time. I'm pumping his tires. So, so I gotta, I gotta kind of push it back every now and then put, not, not give him the hundred percent tug. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too much?
0: Nah, it's fine. It's all good. Um, yeah, man, this is uh, this was a great episode. I, I really enjoyed talking to Mayo. He, again, he and I go way back. Um, you know, we both got our starts in college hockey as coaches the same year. Uh, we lived together that year. He lived with uh, with Em and I. This was before we had kids, and uh, and so it's just really, really cool. And it's been really cool to see him ascend uh, to you know winning World Junior gold medals <laughs> as uh, as a coach. And so uh, awesome guy, awesome guy. And uh, we really enjoyed this conversation. Really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation as well um this part of the podcast uh is going to be or this next part of the podcast I should say is sponsored by icehockeysystems.com and one of the new things that we do every week is we talk about a drill that uh, we really like uh, on their website or uh, they helped us build a little bit of a drill page on our website the hockeythinktank.com but the one I want to talk about here today it's called King of the Hill king of the hill. And this is a drill that you actually see, um, teams doing at like the youngest of levels, like mites, novice, Adam, and you see teams doing this in like the NHL to, to kind of start their practice too, um, in different variations. So basically what it is, is you have everybody around the center circle, and then you have, um, six or seven guys that go into the circle and they all have a puck. And on the whistle, it's king of the hill. So it's like a survival of the fittest. So everybody's stick handling, everybody's stick handling. And while they're stick handling, they're trying to knock the puck off the stick of everybody else that's inside that circle as well. And depending on the age, you can have anywhere from probably five to eight or nine players in the circle at the same time, or you can even expand it. Like if you have 20, 30 players that you want involved, you can do it within the whole zone uh, as well. But basically it's a survival of the fittest king of the hill and everybody um, is stick handling around. And while they're stick handling, they're trying to knock the puck off other people's stick. And if you get the puck knocked off your stick, you're out <laughs> and you have to go on one knee or, you know, do something else and, and watch everybody that's still in. And then the player with the puck at the end wins and he is the king or the queen, if it's women um, of the hill. And just so it's like a really neat kind of drill to do at the beginning of practice. I think the biggest benefit of this drill is it forces everybody to keep their head up. (laughs) So you're stick handling around, you're watching for other players that are trying to knock the puck off your stick. You're trying to knock the puck off somebody else's stick. And again, this is just a, um, a, habit that in my mind is literally the most important habit that you can teach your kids. And that is to play with your head up. So like, again, we talk about the Instagram coaching now and and all the implements and all that kind of stuff on the ice and, and how much of that goes into like looking at the implements and keeping your head down. Now, can you coach it where they're keeping their head up and going through the implements? Probably yes. But at the same time, just like having, you know, moving targets that are trying to (laughs) knock the puck off your stick rather than a stationary target. You know, you're never going against a stationary target when you're playing in a game. Um, So that's just, I mean, this is a long-winded explanation and long-winded benefits to the drill, but uh, it's a fun one that I'm sure you've done.
1: No, I love this one. And this is when I was coaching. This is one of the drills I'd always have the boys do because Uh, it's a fun way to start practice good competition drill then yeah forcing yourself to have your head up forcing you to be able to stick handle while looking around keep control of the puck it's actually one that I do in the gym all the time too so I'll give you a two for one here another one for looking to also do this kind of thing off ice I use basketball so everybody has a basketball I put them in like a 10 by 10 yard square and uh, the first time you can only dribble with your right hand and if you like miss dribble it. You miss the ball. You're out. If somebody knocks the ball out of your hand, you're out. There's a little bit of body contact in there pre COVID uh, and it's head up and you're trying to dribble and be athletic. And if you go outside the 10 by 10 foot square, you're out. If you lose the ball, you're out. The last guy standing wins. Then the second time we do it, we do it only left hand dribbling. So you're working on your dexterity in both hands. And the third time you have to dribble right to left, to right to left, to right to left, back and forth, while trying to hit other guys, uh, balls. That sounds weird, but you know what I mean? And, uh, um, it's a really fun drill and it's, it's the same as on the ice and it's working on all the exact same thing. So for any strength coaches out there or, or coaches who are just looking for some new off ice drills, uh, this is a really good one that, that will translate to the ice really well
0: very cool very cool and again same thing i can't emphasize it enough teach your kids to play with their head up it's uh we literally so we had we had a kid that we recruited to cornell he actually just signed his first nhl deal his name's alex green a uh, good chicago guy and coach schaefer was the one that saw him and loved him and uh and he was like we need to get this kid and so we were talking about you know the strengths and weaknesses of his game and what he liked and basically he was like he plays with his head up i want him he plays with his head up <laughs> That was like the biggest thing that he saw as a defenseman that got him recruited to Cornell. And now he just signed his first NHL contract Um, was, it was just, it was that simple kid plays with his head up crazy, right? (laughs) I mean, there were other things that we talked about, but the number one plays with his head up. That's why I love him.
1: I can't, I can't stress this enough. Parents, coaches, players listening. When you're in the garage or your basement and you're at home, stick handling, don't look down. Like I go back to me. When I was a kid, I was always looking down when I was practicing in the garage. Like just not thinking. Like no one told me. Like, keep your head up. I don't care if you lose a puck a billion times. The more you do it, the better you're gonna be at it. Or down, up, hold it up for longer than you look down. Up, 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 look down real quick, find it, up, 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 look. And then as you get better, you just keep looking up. And it's really something that I think could have positively affected my game big time. If it's something that I would have worked on, because you know, you and I were the same, we were always in the garage, always in the basement, stick handling, shooting, having fun, doing things to get better. And if you start to do that every single time you're on the ice, every single time you're, mini stick stick handling in front of the tv or in the garage whatever like i guarantee you you will get better at it so 100 percent. like do this drill and then also like when you're at home and you're having fun and you're working on your game like force yourself to keep your head up
0: yeah and it's okay if you fumble a puck when you're stick handling with your head yeah. up <laughs> yeah because <laughs> you're, you're gonna get better at it and it's the same thing like uh, if you're gonna push yourself outside your comfort zone you're gonna be bad at it to start, But continue, 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 continue. And it will, um, again, hockey is about processing information. And the more you can see, the more you can take in, the more you can process. And then the faster as you keep going, the faster you process that information, um, the more apt you're going to be to be able to make good plays. And when you're scanning or you're shoulder checking, that's, that's why we talk about it all the time. That's why all the high level coaches are talking about it. You want, you want to have the best information at your service when you're looking to make a play and you will not have any information if you play with your head down. (laughs) So the more you keep your head up, uh, the better off you're going to be again, a couple stories there. I mean, we took a kid we took a kid because our head coach was like, I love how he plays with his head up and wow. uh, translated. <laughs> That's a skill that translates levels playing with your head up. So uh, awesome drill, King of the Hill drill, go to icehockeysystems.com hockey um, and check it out. There's uh, there's even a video that they put up there. They do a whole big diagram. They, they go through it. So just an awesome, awesome website. Uh, our title sponsor of this podcast is gel sticks. Again, this is coming out right before Christmas time. Uh, what an awesome gift. This would be, uh, for your kids, it's just uh, an incredible training aid uh, that can help your shot in any different way. Pro teams use this, college teams use this, the NTDP uses this, and uh, it's just it would be a very very cool gift um, to to get your kids as you know, the world is, especially with the world being so crazy right now. And, you know, I've heard of some rinks shutting down in my area. I know there's some rinks that have shut down in other areas around the country. And so kids are going to be spending more time in the garage and in the basement. And, and this is a great uh, tool to improve your shot. And so go to gelsticks.com G E L S T com. Use the coupon code think tank, one word to get a little bit of a discount on your weighted trading sticks and GelSticks is, I mean, it's a company that really aligns with what we do too. I mean, it's the holidays right now. It's a time for giving. It's kind of a, uh, you know, a mantra that we want to do all year. (laughs) and the gel sticks guys, they have very, very similar values, uh, as us. And so we really want to, as Jeff would say, pump their tires (laughs) and we really want to promote what, uh, what they do as well. So head on over to gelsticks.com. uh, use the coupon code think tank for your weighted training sticks. Um, and, uh, train heroic is another sponsor that we have. Jeff, did you say you have over like a thousand people using your app right now?
1: I've had, I've had, uh, I think it's closer to now, Probably like 1,200, I think, use it since COVID happened, at least one of the phases. And then with all the teams that I work with on there now. And uh, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's been really cool. Uh, just got our cousin who uh, works for the podcast and your website, the Hockey Think Tank website, Vinny Barra. He started on it this week. So Vinny, if you're listening to this in the post-editing or whatever happens after we stop recording, uh, love you. He told me he couldn't walk the other day not my goal but uh was happy to you know change up his routine because he's, he's pretty he's pretty yoked but uh i got him i got him so he was uh, he's probably one of those you know go to sit on the toilet and you fall over after his first leg day with me yeah but train heroic's been awesome you know i've been able to for a very very hilariously cheap price uh, uh help as many people as i can and that's my goal with that so thank you to train heroic Awesome stuff. Uh, And then
0: uh, the last people we want to thank, as always, is you guys, the listeners. We want to wish you a happy, happy holidays. We um, just are so grateful for your support for this podcast. And uh, it's why we do it every uh, every week. We are going to take a week off. I don't think we've taken a week off, honestly, since we started this thing two years ago, even through the holidays and everything. We don't miss. (laughs) But uh, we are going to take a week off here um, for for the holidays. So um, next week, uh, there will not be a new podcast out, but we will come back rearing and ready to go the week after that uh as we start 2021 freaking finally 2020 thank you for being over (laughs) um but uh yeah just thank you thank you thank you so much uh if you can if you love what we're doing please help us out by, um, you know, going to Apple podcasts or going to iTunes or Google play or Stitcher or wherever you're getting your podcast today. Um, And uh, Spotify, we're on Spotify as well. Um, And, and leave us a a rating and a review Uh, that really helps us to try and get the word out. Uh, Again, if you think that we're providing an awesome service for the hockey world, share it with your groups on, on social media. I think there's even like a little easy share button that you can do right on your phone and just share it in a text or in an email or, or or to a social media group. So um, we really appreciate your guys' support for this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for all that you do in the hockey world as well. And we really look forward to even coming out better than before in 2021.
1: Yeah, and I just want to say thank you, everyone else, and uh, who's listening, rating, sharing us, the people who send us messages. We got an unbelievably cool message the other day from the last podcast we did from somebody who said, we were talking about mental health on the last episode and he was having a pretty down day and um, we helped to pick him up and he woke up the next day, ready, raring to go. And he he crushed a workout and felt good about himself. So that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. It's so important for us to help other people. And um, you know, I just want to say Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa, whatever you celebrate, doesn't matter. Happy, whatever, and, uh, and thank you for the bottom of our hearts. And if you're looking for a last minute gift, you better believe I got that GMBM apparel. Uh, you go to humblehockey.com shop GMBM and, uh, gift cards are 10% off right now. So even if you don't have to, you know, you might probably wouldn't get your hoodie or whatever shirt hat in on time for Christmas. Uh, you could get a gift card for 10% off. So, um, just trying to get back and wanted to say happy holidays to everyone. We love you. And thank you very much.
0: Happy New Year, everybody. You're going to love this conversation with current University of Michigan assistant coach and assistant coach for Team USA at the World Junior Championships right now, Chris Mayotte. So without further ado, let's head on over to Chris Mayotte. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast, he's by his lonesome, in his hotel room in the beautiful city of Edmonton, Alberta, right now at the world junior hockey championships. He's an assistant coach with team USA and also an assistant coach with university of Michigan hockey, Chris Mayotte Mayo. What's going on, man?
2: Not much. Like you said, by myself, uh, isolated for four days, we're in day two of it right now, but, uh, you know, the reward at the end of it is pretty cool. So anything you can do for the opportunity to compete against, uh, on the world's biggest stage for this age is is worth it.
0: Yeah, that's unreal. How excited are you? I know you've done this before and you don't won a gold medal. So pretty good, pretty good stuff. But uh are you pretty excited for this next go around as well.
2: Incredibly excited. I mean, anytime you get this opportunity, uh, it's an honor. And uh and it, it's an incredible tournament. It's you know, it's the best players in the world at their age. Um, And, and you get to kind of see the behind the scenes of, of what makes these kids tick and what makes them so special. Uh, And it's the emotions of a, of a full season all wrapped into about 11 days. You know, you play, if you, if you, if you win it, you play seven games in 11 days Uh, and the roller coaster, it, it, you know, feels the same as a regular season. It's, it can be exhausting at times, but, um, but the ride is, is, is second to none.
0: Yeah, that's unreal. Are you pretty excited to, uh, you know, hook back up with some of the coaches that you coached with in the past and get into a little bit of a rhythm there, too? How's that? How's that been?
2: It's been great. And like you said, you know, it's given us we've we've kind of been able to hit the ground running here a little bit. Uh, We had Coach Donato from Harvard, uh, but myself, Steve Miller, Teresa Feaster, who's our hockey ops here, video coach and, and the head coach, Nate Lehman, have all worked together before. Uh, at Providence College, won a national championship together there. So, you know, it just makes the things easy. We understand a little bit how, um, what drills we want to do, kind of what we're trying to get out of each drill. Uh, It makes the preparation in that regard pretty easy because we can just say the name of the drill and and we all understand why we're doing it and how it it needs to be executed. Um, You know, we got to be mindful that we don't go too fast, I guess, for Coach Donato because he's – uh, you know he doesn't have that experience right and he's
0: and he's a harvard guy so strike yeah one exactly right so there. things
2: get away from him quickly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know you say three drills in a row and and we all kind of go and and do what we need to do and and sometimes you forget to explain it to you know and enough depth for um you know so that we are all on the same page but uh but he's he he picks things up quickly obviously he's a great hockey mind uh and and he's really brought a lot to. Uh, kind of what we've already had and, and put in place. So it's uh, it's been fun so far. That's awesome, man.
0: That's so cool. Well, uh, we definitely want to get to some World Junior questions, as I know it's uh, it's such an amazing opportunity there to, to be able to compete with and against the best players in the world. Uh, but what we like to do on our podcast is like to take it back and kind of f- introduce you a little bit to our listeners here and, and talk a little bit about uh, your journey because I know you had uh, a, a pretty crazy journey knowing you as well as I do and for as long as I have, you know, uh, I love and our listeners love to hear stories of, of, you know, the ups and downs of what a journey can take you on in your path to higher levels of hockey. And and it certainly wasn't easy for you at all the stops on the way. So if you can just tell us a little bit about uh, growing up in Pittsburgh, PA and uh, talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with the game and and uh go from there
2: yeah um you know for me uh pittsburgh at the time was the the pirates were really good the steelers were really good um and pittsburgh is you know known as a as a football town uh i think i maxed out in my teenage years at like 150 pounds uh so so football probably wasn't going to be uh where i found my my luck on the in sports but um well, fortunately for me, um, you know, Mary Lemieux was, uh, was drafted to the Penguins when the year I was born. Uh, and I kind of, you know, my love for hockey grew as, as the Penguins' success grew. And, uh, you know, they won it in 91, which I was eight years old. Uh, I started playing the year before. So I didn't start playing until I was seven. I played baseball. Baseball was my number one sport. Um, growing up, you know, we tried everything, baseball, basketball. I didn't, I actually never played football, which is probably smart by my parents. Um, but that was love. And it was, it was literally, it was Mario Lemieux. He's still, you know, to this day is the guy that if I see anywhere in the rink, I mean, I just, I shut down. Like I, I get, I get like a little kid again and I get all giggly and, and sweaty and everything like that. Um, you know, but when, when I was playing, when I was growing up, um, you know, there wasn't, we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to, you know, what it meant to be a big time hockey player or anything like that. I actually remember, like I said, like my family's a football family. Um, my mom and dad are from Detroit. Um, you know, all my uncles coach high school football and, uh, and that was really what we knew. And so, um, you know, I played A and B hockey, uh, for the majority of my life. And I remember when, uh, when I was going to play Uh, high school hockey for Pittsburgh Central Catholic, I thought that that's where division one schools were going to recruit me from. And, you know, we went there and um, made varsity, which I thought was the coolest thing on the planet, you know, making a varsity team in Pittsburgh high school hockey. Um, And I was fortunate because, you know, Bill Downey, who was a huge influence on me, he was two years older than me. I grew up in Greenfield, which is a small kind of inner city type of town in, in Pittsburgh and and he was from there and he was the best hockey player, uh, I guess, from, you know, the, the city of Pittsburgh, the suburbs obviously had, had really had some good hockey players, but from the city of Pittsburgh, Bill was the best and he was playing for the Hornets. So after I made the varsity team for central Catholic, I had some guys on my, you could play AAA and high school at the same time there. Um, and those guys, Bernie Schimmel uh, and Bill Downey were kind of the ones that said, Hey, you know, I think you should look in the triple a little bit. Um, and so it wasn't until my sophomore year in high school that I even considered AAA hockey. I, I, really, like I said, my, me and my family, we didn't know that you had to do it to, to move on. Um, and we really didn't have any expectations of moving on. Um, you know, it was just, I was going to play until, and for me, high school was the next level to try and make. And once I did that, I was like, well, then maybe, Maybe AAA is worth it. So um, I was fortunate. My mom said that I said that I could um, and and kind of So my sophomore year in high school um, was the first time I even ever tried out for AAA hockey, Uh, made the team. And actually that year was it was select 15s year. I I made it out of uh, out of Mid-Am District, didn't even sign up to go to the camp, knew nothing about it, didn't know it existed, didn't know how to do it. And then I remember I got home from a baseball game and, um, and one of my buddies, dads who I played with, uh, my, uh, the other player was Brandon Kerjanowicz and his dad left a message on our answering machine and said, Hey, um, I signed you up for this tryout and, uh, it's kind of a district thing. (laughs) And now you're
0: the, uh, assistant coach at world juniors for team USA. Unreal.
2: (laughs) It, It Really is mind blowing. Um, you know, how, how it all worked out. He's like, Hey, I signed you up for this thing. You should go check it out. Uh, it's in Ohio and Sylvania in a, in a couple of weeks. And, and I think you'd have a, you know, a lot of guys are doing it. So I went and I made the select festival, um, and never played triple A hockey before anything like that. So, uh, and that was kind of the beginning of me thinking that, uh, maybe I was good at this thing and, um, and then really I was always serious about it. I always loved it. I was just a a sports nut. Um, You know, I, I played on two, two hockey teams, two baseball teams because my mom and dad were divorced. So I played on a hockey team and a baseball team where my mom lived. I played on a hockey team and a baseball team where my dad lived soccer team. you know, I both at both places. Um, So I just played a lot of, a lot of sports growing up. Uh, And, and then you know, it was time and it was clear that I was becoming a better hockey player than baseball player. Uh, so probably at 15 was the first time that I really, you know, started to focus on hockey, um, and, uh, ended up making three select festivals. Um,
0: Did you you get cut from a triple A team at some point in there too, though?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So my 17, my midget major year. So I made it my sophomore year in high school. Then my junior year in high school was I was going to uh, was midget major for the Hornets and I got cut from the Pittsburgh team. Um, but earlier that summer, I I played at the top prospects tournament in Toronto uh, for the Cleveland Barons. Anybody and our they, age played at that tournament for sure. It was and it was an awesome tournament. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember we I think we lost in the finals of that tournament, but. The last day where you play like the mini twenty-five minute games yep. or whatever, and so you go play and you don't even take your gear off. You just wait for the next one to start. I mean, it was it was incredible. Um, and so went there. Uh, our coach there um, was running the midget major team in Cleveland. Heard that I got cut from Pittsburgh, offered me a spot in Cleveland. And so uh, that year, my junior year in high school, I still played two teams. I played for the Cleveland Barons midget team. Went and practiced with them twice a week, and then played on the weekends and still played for uh, Central Catholic in Pittsburgh. So uh, practiced there twice a week and played whatever games, you know, didn't miss, um, didn't miss any games for the high school team. Uh, If there was a conflict, you know, practice with Cleveland or game with Pitts with the high school team, I played the game with the high school team. Uh, And I was fortunate that the guys in Cleveland let me do that. But um, yeah, so got cut and then, after that year, it actually worked out because the this other goalie in Pittsburgh, my birth year, I'm I'm an '83, was Dwight Labrosse, and he was a stud. Uh, and it actually gave us both the opportunity to be starting goalies. So I kind of took the role of the starting goalie in Cleveland. He was the starting goalie in Pittsburgh. Uh, he ended up an NTDP kid. Uh, I tendered with with uh, with Cleveland in the North American Hockey League after the year, and you know, so I went from. I went from not knowing what um, what select festivals were, not really even considering triple A um, being cut. Once I did consider AAA, all in two years, you know, going from that to being uh, a tendered goalie in, in a junior hockey league. Um, and then after after two years in junior, I was a starting goalie in college hockey.
0: After playing high school hockey in Pittsburgh. I love it. Just, uh, and and
2: I thought that was, I thought that was like a big deal, you know? So Um, let me ask
0: you this, you're a college coach now. And it's one of those things where, um, you know, we get asked and I'm, I'm sure that you get asked all the time, you know, how do you get to play college hockey? And I think the biggest thing to tell people is like, everybody has a different path. There's not like one menu that I can give you and say, here, you, if you do all of these things, you are going to guarantee yourself a spot in college hockey. And I think that that's just such an important, lesson for everybody you know you have the kids who are on the track from when they were born (laughs) just because they were given gifts by god to do it but a vast majority of people they have a lot of these ups and downs and they've gotten cut and and all these kinds of things so as a college coach now at the university of michigan you know how much do you talk to kids about that and and how much do you think there's even some value in not maybe being the best of the best and being told how good you are you know from
2: the youngest of ages too I think it's, I think it's really big because you're going to hit it at some point, you're going to hit obstacles and and what we're trying to do, you know, even though um, we do have the ability to get the guys that are probably those guys you're talking about, who've been really good since the time they they started, um, you know, you still win with guys that have a lot of grit, um, a lot of belief, a lot of ability to overcome um, adversity. And, and so, you know, when you look at the guys that we have on our team this year at Michigan, we have some, some special players that everybody knows the names of, but the reason we think we have a chance to, to win a national championship this year is because of guys like Nick Blankenberg, who was playing Michigan high school hockey and then went, uh, and playing U18 hockey and then went out to Alberta. Um, and not, you know, not the USHL, not the BCHL went out to Alberta and was great. And and now as a junior, he's an assistant captain and on a power play and plays top two minutes for us. Um, and it's guys like that. And I and I do think it's important. And one of the things that I think was an advantage for me uh, was almost that we were naive to the whole process. So I never got discouraged by the process. You know, yeah. um, I didn't know that I was supposed to be doing something else. So it was very easy for me just to stay in my lane and focus on just me enjoying what I was doing and getting better. And I think that's a big part of it because I think it's hard sometimes, you know, we all want to see what everybody else is doing. Um, and really it is about you finding your path and and finding a way to to be successful. And, and success is different for everybody. But if I, you know, if I knew at 10 years old that I was supposed to be playing AAA hockey, I might not have stayed in the sport because I wasn't ready for AAA hockey. I would have gotten cut every single year, you know, for seven years, right. Or for five years. And so for me, it was, you know, I, I found my way to triple triple a hockey when it was time for me to be there. Um, and so I, I think that was important because I never, I always had a belief and I had really no reason not to believe in myself. Um, and, and my parents did a great job of, of helping me do that. But I think, you know, it, it, I understand the difficulty. I think it's easy to say, Hey, everybody just focus on yourself. Uh, but it is difficult because there's so much info available to everybody, but we really, even at Michigan, you know, we want the guys who are getting better as they enter Michigan. Um, and you know, and that happens for a lot of different guys at a lot of different times. Like I said, for me, I didn't even start thinking about hockey seriously until I was 15. Um, and you know, we just committed a kid, who uh, was playing Michigan high school hockey two years ago um, you know and and we think his best hockey's ahead of him and he just keeps getting better and he keeps his head down he goes to work and we love you know his attitude and and, and what he's had to overcome uh, already in, in his career uh, and I think that's really how you become successful and even the guys that we think don't have adversity you um, you know, they still do the guys, you know, at Michigan, like Owen power and Kent Johnson and, uh, and Maddie Beniers, you know, for a lot of people, it's easy to say, Oh, they have it all. It's easy. They do this, but, um, they create their own adversity for themselves. You know, um, they put the challenges ahead of in, in front of themselves and they go and try and knock them down. Uh, and you have to, because it, it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so the guys that can overcome the most are, are usually the guys that are there at the end. True.
0: I mean, to be the best and to be at that level, like it's, it's not easy because <laughs> most of those players, number one, they have expectations from everybody else that they're supposed to be achieving all these amazing things. And they've had that their entire life, but they also uh, the best of them, they have that, that internal drive and that like that internal motivation to always want to get better and, and raising the bar every time, every time, and every time. And you know, I look back at the players that I played with that have been the, the really like the truly special ones. You know, there, there's yeah. there's people that go on to do some pretty good things. But if you think about the ones that have been truly special, like they all, the one constant was they love the game. They absolutely love the game and they absolutely love the process of getting better. And I think those two go hand in hand very much. So, (laughs) um, and is that something that you've seen in, in the elite of the elite that you've been able to play with and coach at the levels that you've been at as well?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the big, you know, like you touched on there, uh, it does go hand in hand because at some point doesn't become, you know, the, the quote unquote, love of the game changes from a kid playing the game and you're trying to become the best in the world at the game. Um, you know, when you're a kid playing the game, it's because your buddies are there and you can win and, and all those things. And you're in the locker room together. Um, you know, when you're trying to become the best in the world at something, the, it's very, um, it's mundane and, and the little things and the growth, uh, is very minimal for long periods of time on a lot of stretches and your ability to hang with it and find the passion in, you know, getting 1% better, um, is, is where the, the difference comes in. And, and Owen power for me is, is a great example. And this isn't, you know, to help, um, his draft stock or anything yeah, like that. Yeah, he's already number one
0: on, on Bob McKenzie's list. <laughs> yeah. I don't, he can't go Bob any higher thanks, than that.
2: <laughs> Bob thinks highly of him. But, you know, it, a, a great example is that's what the type of praise that he's getting right now. And that's what people think of him as a hockey player. Um, but, you know, as soon as our 10 games are done, he's asking for video on, on D that are really good at playing the offside in the NHL. And it's simply because he thinks adding and being able to do it will help him. You know, he kind of plays over there on our power play. Um, You know, he goes from the top to the right side as a lefty. And so he has some, you know, offside reads to make and, and things like that. And so he is constantly, constantly adding to his game. Um, And I think the mistake that I see at times with very good hockey players is they want, they want to do what they do well. And they just want, you know, they want coaches to put them in spots where they can be successful. Um, where, you know, we have three guys right now and, and Owen and, and Matt Beneers and Kent Johnson, who they enjoy the struggle of it a little bit, you know, and they want to get better and, and they, they want to learn. And, um, you know, they come up and they want to say, Hey, this isn't working for me. It's worked for me before. It's not working for me right now. What should I do? You know? And sometimes it's, Hey, it's going to work. Don't worry about it. Stick with it. It's going to, you know, that part of your game will still be there. You can still do those things at this level. Um, And sometimes it's, yeah, like you got to leave that in junior hockey. That's no longer going to be a part of your game. And they, they actually, you know, they reach out for that. They, they, they want that feedback. They want that info. And then they want to go and and work on it in practice. And, uh, you know, it's not simply show them video once or twice and they're like, okay, I got it. Like, then they follow it up with rep after rep after rep uh, of trying to improve. Um, And that's where I've seen, you know, the the guys who become, who reach their potential, uh, I think are the ones that are constantly looking to get better and don't simply want to be put, where they're already good in those situations. You know, Matt Beniers is a good example. This is his draft year. He played wing for two years at the NTDP and he came in. He's like, I want to try and be a center. I want to be a center. I want to be viewed as a center. I think I can be a center. So we put him at center and, and it's a challenge for him, right? Defending it, you know, 24 year olds, 25 year olds. He's just turned 18. He weighs 165 pounds. Like it's a challenge, right? But he doesn't shy away from it. He wants more of it. He wants in practice. He wants more one-on-ones down low. You know, um, he wants to work on his face-offs and he doesn't go against, you know, a guy that he knows he can beat. Thomas Bortolo might be the best face-off guy I've ever been around. He goes up against him every single day after practice as much as he can. And he gets beat and beat and beat, but he's like, I'll figure it out. I'll figure it out. Um, that's and mental so,
0: warfare, losing faceoffs like that. Oh my yeah. God, that's mental warfare. There's nothing that made me feel worse about being a hockey player than losing draws like that all the time.
2: And the difficulty <laughs> with going up against Thomas is he can make it look easy. Yeah. You know, he'll even do, he'll, he'll even get bored sometimes and do the Crosby where he stands three feet away from the dot. And, <laughs> and you're like, you, he's mad. He's down over. He's like, I got this. And you know, he'll swipe away, but like he doesn't shy away from it. And that's, I think my, you know, the point with him and, and Owen and, and Kent is they don't shy away from those things. They don't say, Oh, that's, you know, I need to go find somewhere where it makes me feel good about myself, where it makes, gives me confidence that I'm a good player. They know they're good players, but they need, they know they can get better as well. And they work every single day um, to get better, whether it's through video or reps or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's impressive to watch. It really That's is. awesome.
0: That's awesome. I feel like the best at what they do, they, they, they like are able to walk that fine line of, cause I, I think one of the biggest in just in my research and talking to a bunch of people, um, the, the biggest attribute or one of the biggest attributes of the best is they're curious. They're very curious people and they're always looking to, outside the box things to get better. And we had the chance to get Dale Belfry on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. And he talked about that a little bit and how, you know, some of the best in the world are always, you know, trying to find that edge and, and be curious about different ways that they can use different things in their game to get better and find new things that they can use that, that maybe other guys use in the league and stuff like that. But they, they walk that fine line with like being curious, but also having this just unwavering confidence in what they can do as well. And it's like very difficult to walk that line because it's easy to be overconfident, And then you kind of lose that sense of, I need to get better. It's also very easy to be very hard on yourself when you're very talented at something too, where, you know, you can, can lose some of that confidence. So to be able to walk that is a, uh, that's that has got to be an unbelievable skill. And for you to, to be able to coach players like that, at, at that level, um, how have you found that just, just go, you know, that, that, yin and yang between the confidence and the wanting to get better. Yeah. It's just a, a fine line.
2: <laughs> it, it, it is. And it's, I think as a coach, it's the constant challenge for some guys who kind of have that figured out a little better than others. And I think as coaches, that's always what we're trying to, that's the balance we're trying to, you know, find as well is how do we push this guy and help him get better, but not, you know, take his confidence away at the same, at the same time. Um, And the guys, you know, that we have right now, they, and I don't know where it developed, like, you know, as we all know, we just got them, you know, Um, they just now got to Michigan. So we've been around them now for four months and they, and they showed up at Michigan with it. So I I'm not positive on how it developed or where it developed, Um, but I do think, you know, some guys that we get there a little earlier in their development curves, you know, that's what we're trying to instill. Um, and I think a, a lot of that is you have to, you know, it's not a rah, rah, positive coaching style in terms of it's fake. Um, but you have to reward you know, the little things that guys do well, and you have to, you know, you have to give praise for it. Um, I think it's hard when, you know, coaches think that coaching is telling guys with pointing out what they're doing wrong. Like then they never hear that they're doing something right. And, and as coaches, I think we assume that they know they're doing things right. Um, you know, I, I remember, uh, talking to Owen in one of our first video sessions, I said, Hey, you know, this is the type of coach I am. This is how I. This, these are the things I like to show in video. Like I do a lot more positional stuff than I do play result stuff. So I assume I don't need to show when you go backhand sauce to an open guy down the backside. Like I don't need to show you that and say good job, right? He's like, yeah, no, I, I, I know that. But all the things that we work on, and and I think this is the biggest success that I've found is the things that you're asking them to get better. Anytime you see them do it the right way, you have to, you have to reinforce it. And then even if it doesn't go the way you want it to, but they're trying to do it, you have to reinforce that too, you know, because the effort is really the challenge. And, and when you don't reinforce the effort, you just say, Hey, you didn't do it the way you were supposed to like, they get discouraged. You know, you might not get the result, but the effort is there. They're doing what you're asking. That's the important thing, because then that's how they'll build confidence. Um, And so it's it's the fine line. It's the beauty. Um, I've been fortunate to be around a lot of really good coaches that I think do it really, really well. Um, And I think, you know, you can probably figure out who those guys are. Um, but the, the reinforcing the, the, the actions is, is, is way more valuable than pointing out what someone's not doing well.
1: I like what you said there. And something that I learned from, uh, just my two years of coaching there after I retired was like a simple thing, like telling a guy, telling young guys to work on shooting in stride and they fail in the beginning because they have no idea how to do it. They don't know how to lean on the stick, use the flex, use their body weight while they're shooting in stride. And literally every kid I try and teach at in the beginning, their shot is an absolute muffin, probably about the same speed as Topes.
0: I knew and that was coming. I was actually, I was thinking about making fun of myself there. And, don't worry. And, I got you. Yeah. Uh, you.
1: But, but, immediately I go up to him. like, yes, like that's what you're looking for. You're looking to keep your feet moving. You're looking to decide, disguise your release. Just keep doing it. You're doing well. And even though they're quote unquote failing, when they're starting to learn that effort is there and they're trying and then they're like, okay, that was okay. I'm going to get better. And just letting them know, like, you're going to get better, but you got to keep doing it. And then you see them start to get a little bit of success, a little bit of confidence and you are praising that it's not, it's not false praise. It's you're, you're, you know, you're,
0: you're praising the effort, not the yeah,
1: praising the effort. And then after the more the effort comes, the more you can tweak it, the more you can figure it out and then they dial it in and then they get better at it. But if you never, you know, give that, that tire pump to a guy who's getting out of his comfort zone, they're going to try it once and be done. And they're never going to want to try anything outside their comfort zone again. And now they're not getting any better.
2: A hundred percent. And I think one of the difficult things, you know, at our level is, you know, a lot of guys are really like, they're pretty good, you know? And, and so when they add something to their game, you know, it's not this mind blowing, huge growth, Right like when they add something to their game it's it's you know to the naked eye, you might not even notice it, um but you have to you know and and so uh you have to notice it in the throughout the week in practice, you have to notice it in a game, you have to show clips to the team of hey, we asked this guy to be a a better f one or to you know to open up space for his teammates better, like look he did it, you know we didn't get the result we wanted, but it happened and and, you know, one, one guy for me, that's easier. I, I do the goalies at Michigan and um, it's very similar where we have a, a freshman who is, you know, has all the talent in the world, Eric Portillo. He's a big six, five kid, um, you know, and he makes, we, you'll see us, we'll do drills and he'll make saves and I won't be happy with it, you know, because it doesn't make sense. Like what you just did is not consistent. It's, you'll never be able to be consistent with it. It doesn't translate. And so we'll work on something and he'll give up three goals in a row, but you're still doing the right thing. Once you get comfortable doing that, it'll work out for an, an easy example is on a pass cross, you know, dot to dot. He likes to slide, right? So that's his comfort zone. He slides over. He's big. He's six, six guys usually hit him in the chest he's not, he, when he first got to us, he wasn't used to getting there on his feet. So he would get there on his feet and he wouldn't feel comfortable. So he'd make the save sliding, but he wouldn't make the save when he would get there on his feet. And we would say, but you have to get there on your feet." Like, yeah, but yeah, but it's like the result doesn't matter. Trust me. You know, when, when the time comes in the game, If you need to slide to make the save because that's where you're comfortable, I don't care. Go for it. But we're going to build in the habit of you getting there on your feet because in the long run, it's going to be better for you. And so, you know, two weeks later, he's all of a sudden getting there on his feet and making saves just because, but if, if, you know, if after the first three goals went in we said, all right, scrap it, whatever, like it's over, you don't improve that way. You know? Yeah
0: development looks messy sometimes. Oh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's supposed to, yeah. right? If it's no doubt. If it looks perfect all the time, you're not challenging the people enough and That's right. getting them outside your comfort zone. So um well, I got to imagine that coaching at World Juniors gets you a little bit outside your comfort zone. Typically you, you get especially in college, I get four years with certain kids. Now you're getting less than 4 weeks with uh with these guys. And uh before we get into kind of the stuff that you got going on right now, um you were a part of one of is probably going to be the coolest world junior moments in USA hockey history a couple of years ago, when you're in Canada and you're playing against uh, you're playing against the Canadians and you go to a shootout and Troy Terry just, you know, goes five hole. What was it? Four times in a row.
2: Yeah, that was against Russia in the semis.
0: Oh, that was and Russia then, in the semis. And then, and then he did it again. Uh, yeah. And then he beat Canada, beat Canada in the finals, going right? five hole. Yeah. So yeah. take us through, you know, take us through a little bit of that tournament because I mean you're there, you're on Canadian soil, you're on Canadian soil again here, but unfortunately there's not going to be any fans there to watch this time. Um, but take us through a little bit of that tournament, and then take us through those moments against uh, Russia and against Canada when you guys won it. That must have been just absolutely incredible.
2: It was uh, for sure, and and I you know I'm fairly new to USA hockey, and I think. Uh, just being around some guys who have been around here a long time, you know, they talk about how, you know, the U S kids used, used to be intimidated by Canada, um, and Russia. And, and, and the, I think the cool thing is that that's just not the case anymore. Um, you know, the, our guys have a, have a strong belief that, um, that we can be the best in the world and, and that we, you know, if we play well together, that we are the best in the world. Um. And, and I think that that's uh, that is a, an incredible thing to be around. And, and I remember um, the thing with, with that team that won the gold, it went back to the summer showcase and we had a lot of swagger on that team. And I remember in the summer showcase, one of Canada's big guys, Kraus came across the middle of the blue line and Charlie McAvoy just caught him. And absolutely (laughs) put him down. It was the loudest thud. Um, It was an exhibition game and Charlie actually felt bad about it afterwards. He's like, it's an exhibition game. I shouldn't be doing that. But like it literally set the tone uh, for the rest of it. And then when we played Canada on New Year's Eve uh, in that tournament, Greenway was standing over, over one of their guys at the center before the first face off at the, at center ice. And he was just, you know, he's six five and, and when he wants to be, he's a bad man. Um, and he just, he just let them know right away that, you know, this is a different type of us team. Like we are the guys coming in here to, to dictate. Um, and, and our guys really wrote that. And, and the beautiful thing about this tournament, I think, and we talked about it earlier about how you ride the emotions of the, of the full season in about 11 days is you never know who's going to be the hero. Cause every guy on our roster has the ability to do it. Um, Sometimes you go into the tournament thinking that somebody's going to be the number one guy and he's going to lead your team and, and you know, he struggles early. And once you struggle in this tournament, it happens so quickly that it's hard to kind of get it back. Um, But Troy Terry started as our 11th, 12th forward that, that tournament. He started at, on our fourth line right wing, uh, and just kept working his way up as the tournament went because he got more and more comfortable, more and more confident. Um, and obviously what he did in the shootout against, against Russia was special, but you see all of them, you know, and, and you realize what makes these guys special is their ability to handle all of it. When you're around them, you realize they're, they're still kids. Um, and the pressures and the weight of the hockey world are on their shoulders. And I know there's bigger, more important things in the world than that, but for them, you know, it's the way of the world on their shoulders and, and how well they manage it uh, and how well they execute um, in, in stressful situations. It, it's, it's special. Um, and so when we, when Canada tied, took the two goal lead in, in the championship game, You know, we're in Montreal and it was, they celebrated like they had won it. The arena celebrated like they had won it. Um, You know, and less than three minutes later, it was tied again. Uh, And that's just what that team had the ability to do. Like they were never intimidated. They never felt down. They always had the belief that they could be the best team in the world. Um, You know, and it was everybody like Adam Fox didn't play much that tournament for us. He was a, he was an underage guy. Um, He didn't play much for in that tournament, but he ended up with two points in the gold medal game. Uh, You know, the face-off or the power play that went off Bellows pants early in the, uh, in the first period. Um, And then the, or maybe that was the second period. And then he got the, the one that um, uh, tied it where he found Colin White off the back post, Uh, you know, and Bellows, Kiefer Bellows didn't uh, have a great tournament, but he scored two goals in the gold medal game um, you know, Troy Terry stars, our fourth line, right winger, he's the hero. He's the guy who will always be attached to that gold medal. And so, um, but again, it goes back to the adversity that we talk about and their, their constant belief in themselves, uh, in their ability to, to impact at the world stage. Um, it'll, it'll all, yeah. In us history, it'll be one of the coolest, coolest moments. I, I don't, I don't think that that'll, that can be matched. And in my, in my career, that that's going to be tough.
0: For sure. Well, it's, 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 uh, I guess it's a little bit better than Vex when we won select seventeens for central district in St.
2: Cloud, Minnesota, but hey, I don't know, man, Like <laughs> I remember different. those, those, those tournaments. I mean, I was at mid a.m. And we got our butts kicked every single year, but when you went as your district that, I mean, Oh, I wish they it was back to so that. much fun. I you so you wish spent they a month and a half with yeah. that, with those guys that summer, like you were, you, you built such a cool bonds. Um, you know, those, pride. those still are some of my best memories in hockey are totally. the, those select festivals and going with your district. And like I said, we didn't win anything. If we won a game, like it was, it, it was a celebration it was Chris at, May at, am, it at
0: 45 that, saves <laughs> at <laughs> that
2: time. Like, you know, midam was, was, was down, but, um, man, those were, those were fun times. Why
1: well, did they change that? Like, I'm I'm a big pride guy. You're going to play harder when there's pride on the line and it's cool playing for your district and with the guys, you know, like, you know, St. Louis guys, we go play with Chicago guys who we absolutely hated. Then we become buddies with them. Like it was so much fun and so much pride and the games meant something. And now I talked to all these kids and they're like, oh, it's not like that at all. And I'm like, what? Like it was a battle when we went there and it was unreal to do that in the middle of the summer.
0: Well, I think there's – Mayo, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think there's a couple different reasons. I think number one is – I think some of the districts started to take it a little bit too seriously. Like you mentioned, did you say you had a month and a half long
2: training yeah, camp we, or something we had a like lot, that? We had a lot of camps. Yeah. yeah we so were together think, a lot.
0: Yeah. So I think like some of the districts were taking it like, you know, and USA hockey rightfully so is, is trying to promote multiple sports and trying to promote taking some time in the summer off to, to be a kid and stuff like that. And I think there were some people that were taking liberties with trying to make sure that Midam wasn't losing 10, nothing every game or the central <laughs> district was winning the tournament and stuff and the other thing and male this you know you might be able to be a little bit more educated on this one having been to where you are but i think you know at the end of the day one of the biggest goals for usa hockey is to win world juniors or win the u18s or whatever and so, so if you can get some of the top kids to kind of get to know each other a little bit more through some of these camps and things um. then they'll be able to bond a little bit easier and better once they get to those higher level tournaments, because there's already a little bit of a familiar familiarity there. So I think those are two things that kind of went into it. I, I would personally rather go back the other way, especially as a former college coach, like when there's a little bit more hatred and there's a little bit more something on the line and the players aren't just playing for themselves, it's much easier to scout and recruit because it looks a little bit more like hockey and not pond hockey. Um, but Mayo, I don't know, you, you had you're, you're kind well, of involved in it. Too, and I th- so. th- yeah. And I think the
2: other thing is to, you know, for college purposes you want to see, and for USA hockey purposes, you want to see the best that the country has to offer. Right. And so the argument is, is the seventh best D in Minnesota, better than, you know, and they, they get cut from Minn Kota, um, for, you know, three guys that end up making it on another decor that aren't quite as good. And so I think their goal is to put the, you know, whatever it is, 20, 200 best players for the age group there, rather than just the 20 best from each district. Um, but I agree with you. I, 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 I like the other way, but I, I I do think it's um you know, you start to get complaints on the seventh best D in Michigan, you know, is way better in in their people's views than you know, a seventh D maybe from an or a sixth D from another district. And does that guy from Michigan deserve to be considered one of the top two hundred players for his age group, you know? Yeah. If he is versus yeah. um being restricted based on where he lives.
0: Yeah. Well, male. Let me ask you this. You know, because you talked about just. Uh, Hang kind
2: of like, on, real quick. By the way, this is my tracking device. <laughs> in case you're wondering,
0: you guys got yeah. tracking devices. Wow. Yeah. I was wondering. I was like, thing, is that a snazzy watch or what is no, that? No.
2: <laughs> this thing makes sure you don't leave your room. You are on
0: serious lockdown. Wow. Boom. Is that from yeah. the tournament or is that from USA Hockey? Tournament. The tournament. Yeah. Gotcha. That's funny. Uh, um. Yeah, at first I was like, man, that looks like a halfway snazzy white watch. Mayo's moving up in the world with his dressing. (laughs) I wish. Um, But back to it, you mentioned before like a little bit of the bond, and and it's got to be difficult in getting in in any team that's ever won championships, there's always been some sort of a a special bond between the players. And we had Barzi who we, we Cole Bardrow, who we both coached at Cornell, our first years there. um, And we had him on the podcast about a month ago. And he talked about when they won the gold medal, um, you know, in his, his year that they went, it was very much like they didn't have necessarily the most talented team, but they had everybody bought in. They had everybody bought in, everybody played their roles. And that's one of the hardest things for, for you guys because you mentioned you have the swagger, you have all these guys who are used to being the best player on their teams. And now half of them have to buy into playing a different kind of role that they've played for pretty much their, their entire lives. So, for you guys, how important is it for you to talk about those kinds of things? And how important is it for you guys to talk about how important it is to, to bond as a team and to really come together and get some chemistry off the ice? That that can help you guys to win uh, the gold medal in such a short period of time.
2: Exactly. What you're saying is exactly right. Like, and I'm a firm believer that the reason, you know, that 97 slash 98 group one is because they were the best, they were the closest team there. Um, And you, that the challenge is you have to become a real team like a real one, not just, you know, it's not a fantasy hockey team that you're putting together, (laughs) but you have to have, you have to be a real team and have all the feelings that you do, you know, that, uh, that as a team, that's been together for eight months, you know, teams that go on and win Stanley cups. Like you have to have that type of care for each other. You have to have that type of buy-in. You have to have that type of team first mentality. Um, and, and I couldn't agree with you more That usually I find the team, the, the country that is the closest team, you know, gives themselves the best chance. Uh, and, you know, and Nate's done a coach. Lehman's done a great job with that, with our group so far. Um, I do think, you know, he talks about all the time that, you know, he wanted to put together a staff that was, that had a lot of great communicators on it, um, you know, so that we, you know, and they picked you. Are, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm just the goofy guy that people laugh at, (laughs) that's how, that's how I bring guys together. Um, so, but it was the ability, you know, to, to articulate roles and to coach and to really, you know, get create buy-in and understanding of what we're trying to accomplish and how we're going to be successful. Um, you know, the, you already have teammates, right? A lot of NTDP guys have played together before, so they have an understanding, um, you know, and they have relationships that, that are truly, you know, they care. Um, and, and so that's what we're trying to do. And that's what we've done at the beginning of camp is try to create and help build relationships, um, that can withstand the adversity. Right. And, and those are, those are deep, true relationships. Those aren't just surface relationships. And, uh, you know, after every skate we talk about, um, you know, what do championship teams do that doesn't require talent? Um, you know, and so just trying to get everybody to understand that this is what you're going to bring. And, and we actually have, um, and again, it's another thing that Nate, you know, was Nate's ideas. We've had teammates talk about other teammates like, Hey, um, you know, we know Briss is a world-class goal scorer, uh, and he can shoot the lights out of a puck. Um, you know, but we have another teammate to tell the rest of the team, what can Briss bring, what can Brendan Brisson bring to uh, this team? And, and that isn't that, that if he brings this to this team, you know, we have a chance to win a gold medal. And so um, it's really just talking about it and putting it all out there and, and, and communicating with, you know, the importance of every role that's going to be needed, whether you're a PK guy or a face-off guy or a, or a, a matchup guy or a power play guy, you know um, we need you to be the best in the world at what it is we're asking you to do. And uh, you know, we're not, again, it's not a fancy hockey team. It's real minutes that need to be that need to be played, you know, in real situations. And it was, a, it was a big part of the evaluation process for us. You know, a lot of times I think teams come into this and they say, yeah, he can kill. Yeah, he can, he can PK. You don't want that. Yeah. He's really good at the penalty kill. You know, like those are like, you still need the guys that are going to be able to shut down Russia's power play. And like, it doesn't happen by a guy that, yeah, he can kill. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. He did it once or twice last year. He can, you know Um, and so really are, you know, in our process, focusing on building a a, a complete team with all the roles um, that we think are, are required to, to win.
0: That's awesome, man. Well, I know you got to run here. You have some guy named Patrick Kane that's speaking to your team in uh, in just a couple minutes, but before we let you go, I mean, you have such an awesome story coming from where you came from in Pittsburgh and talking about how you didn't really take hockey seriously. I shouldn't say take hockey seriously, but you, you didn't invest in it, um, you know, as much as maybe some of the other kids did because you didn't really know. Um, well,
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know I was supposed to. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Um, but now you're sitting here, you know, we're, we're talking right now, you're sequestered in a hotel room in in Edmonton, Alberta, already having won a national championship as a coach at the college level and a gold medal at the World Junior Championship as a coach. And, you know, if you can take a through your journey and maybe if there was one thing that you learned that has helped you to get to where you are now um, in, in such a crazy, amazing, awesome, furious at times, I'm sure journey um, for all the kids that are kind of sitting here listening to this right now, what, what was maybe the, the biggest learning, uh, learning point that you
2: had? For me, I, well, I I guess I can tell you how I think it happened for me um, is I think I, I think I always worked really hard. I always respected the people that were around me. Um, and because of that, I had a lot of people willing to go out on a limb for me. Um, and you know, I told you about Mr. Kujanowicz who called and signed me up for the mid AM district. I had, uh, a guy that my dad worked with Ed Topoleski is the guy that signed me up for my second hockey team in the sixth grade. Um, you know, Marty quarters, who is the midget coach in Cleveland, who, when I got cut from Pittsburgh called and offered me a spot, um, the goalie coach in, in Pittsburgh, Shane Clifford, who when union let go of a goalie midsummer and was needed a goalie, brought up my name and said that I should be the guy that they bring in. Um, I don't think union ever saw me play. And so you look back at all of those doors that were opened just by people around me thinking that I was worth doing it for. Um, And, uh, you know, and those guys, Bill Downey, who drove me to practice at Central Catholic, like um, just as its teammate who I looked up all through high school, um, having those people around you, surrounding yourself with good people, being a good person, wanting, um, always being appreciative Um, and then at this level, at the coaching level, you know, you don't have any, you really don't have anything figured out, you know, surround yourself by good people, learn, work your butt off to try and get better at what it is you want to accomplish. Um, but never think that you have anything figured out. Um, you know, the second you do that, you're, you're in trouble, uh, and people are going to pass you by, but always be willing to listen, learn, be respectful, um, work hard, um, and, you know, treat people, um, with a ton of respect. Cause you never know who's going to be, who's going to have an opportunity to open a door for you. Um, and you hope that you're the guy that they, that they want to do it for.
0: I love that, man. That's so awesome. Well, we appreciate you taking the time out of your, well, I'm sure it's kind of busy. You got a lot of stuff to do to prepare. Today but... <laughs> was busy actually. It's,
2: uh, in the time change, like I don't, I, you know, my computer still says it's 5.00 PM, but my phone says it's 3.00 PM. So I get up, you know, <laughs> i don't know i gotta get my stuff together but thanks uh, for the time i appreciate you guys having me
0: you bet man well good luck up there in uh alberta hopefully i'll be shooting you some more texts to some congratulatory congratulatory texts after some cool shootout goals like uh a few years ago and uh yeah i'm sure we'll be talking at some point soon thanks man
2: awesome go usa thanks guys USA, <laughs> <there you go.
0: laughs>